go right into our last session, which is all about worship. And here we are starting the last session. And let me tell you, you could have gotten all of this just through this book. Ted, Paul David Tripp, Parenting. It's fairly new. It's only available out in hardback right now. It'll be in soft cover in not too long. You can go ahead and keep that one. You can keep that one. And uh, so, but a very good book. I haven't finished all of it yet, but all the part that I've uh, been reading, I thought... That's very good. That's what we say. Oh, that's very good. That's what we say. So basically, you got the way I'm pitching this is you got Paul David Tripp in this little seminar, but you don't have to pay as much for Paul David Tripp. All right. He's far more expensive. He's written lots. He's more interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about families and worship. Uh, I'll quickly go through this. A few years ago, when I first took this position as coordinator, I went to visit one of our PCA churches. And in the midst of the church, I sat down. Of course, I'm by myself. My family was still in St. Louis. There was a single mom who came in, had two little girls. And so they arrive late, and they sit there, and the mom's in the middle, and the girls, one girl's on one side, one girl's on the other. And it was so interesting because they were talking to mom, and they were turning around seeing who was there. And, of course, there I was, So, and I'm probably not helping. I'm waving at them and doing all that stuff. And so going back and forth, and then then comes the sermon on Romans 12.1, present yourself as a living sacrifice, and you had... Little girl here would draw a picture and she would want mom to see it. And then this little girl and she would want. And then there was the whole thing of who's going to have their head in mom's lap. This is going on all during the sermon. Now, I was listening to the sermon. But the interesting thing is what was happening with this mom? What does worship look like in that mom's situation? And. I figured that there were probably people in the sanctuary who would say, why doesn't that woman control her kids? And I'm sure that that mom would maybe say, you know, my kids didn't get anything out of the worship service. There's all these different things that happen in contemporary evangelicalism. The question is, again, What does worship look like in this season of this woman's life? I would argue that in that hour or whatever, though she did not hear every bit of the sermon, that woman with her two daughters was truly offering herself as a living sacrifice. And she was worshiping as she was training her children. And then afterwards, God was doing all this in my heart, and afterwards I looked down and I just talked to the two girls, and I said, thank you so much for being in the worship service with your mom. It was really neat to see you. And then I told them, I I really enjoyed your two daughters during this worship service. Thank you for being a great mom. I was a complete stranger, but... I just wanted her to know I was part of the covenant community. She was part of the covenant community, and she was she had her kids there. Worship involves everyone. You look here at Deuteronomy 31. You see what it says? God tells Moses, assemble the people, men, women, 
and little ones. This is something where we've got to make sure our doctrine matches our practice. And we live in a culture, even with the in our circles, there were Reformed Baptists who hold to our Reformed soteriology, God's sovereignty, but they don't hold to covenant theology. And so what happens is children are viewed as outside the covenant community until they make a profession of faith. That is not our doctrine. Our doctrine is that they are part of the community and they are growing in their understanding of this community. That growth includes they make a profession of faith. Now, we show that in baptism where baptism in our circles is all about God's promises and God's command. It's all about God. Those who are non-covenantal, what is the linchpin about whether you are in and out of the community? It is your profession of faith. Now I have many brothers and sisters who don't hold to my view of covenant theology and we will enjoy each other in heaven. But I'm sorry. Their view, I don't care how you slice it, is man-centered. Because the key element is their profession of faith. What we believe, we don't believe that baptism saves a child, but we believe from day one that child is part of a community and we are raising that child with the hope that this great God who makes these great promises will be faithful to keep those promises. And so in the light of the comfort of those promises, we act. That's why I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> because it's all about God's goodness and what he does. Then you have this really long worship service in Nehemiah 8. And then it goes there in verse 3. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. The idea is they are very little. Just as soon as they were, they were to be there and be attentive to the book of the law. But they were there. Look how, beginning in verse 3. He read it, read the law. From early morning until midday. How long is your worship service, Richard? Hour and 15 minutes. We're not going to encourage Richard to follow Scripture in this way. <laughs> but this is what the idea was to have all of the people there. Now, as we think about worship, we need to think in two ways. One is general worship that we do every day. I call this the, the little W worship, this is what we do all the time. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You are always doing everything before the face of God to His glory. And so you're offering yourself. That's really what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, that you're offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And if you go on into Romans 12 to the end of the, chapter, into the, end of the book, it's the idea of very practical ways that you live differently because of this relationship and what God has done to you, done for you. Then you have 
the specific type of worship, which is in two parts. It's individual devotion, where we have personal prayer, personal Bible reading, personal reflection. But then there's this corporate worship, which goes out in concentric circle. God is at the center. Then you have your individual devotion. Then you get your family and then your covenant community and goes out. In our case, it goes out from our church family, and then we go Presbyterian, go General Assembly, and the broader church. That's just how it operates. And here's the key about our belief in salvation. God saves you as an individual into a body. And so when he looks on you, he sees you as one who is his child. He knows you intimately but he never views you apart from the rest of the body of Christ. Now that's hard for us in American Christianity because we're all about individualism. In me and Jesus, our personal walk together. And there's nothing wrong with individual devotion. That's part of it. But we need to get a bigger picture of this community, and that's what we're about in worship. And worship is to be this God-centered, ordained by the Father, made acceptable by the Son. And worship is not about you. I hear it often. I just didn't get anything out of worship. My question to that, usually not verbal. Well, what did you put into it? I heard Nancy Guthrie speaking when she hears that. I didn't get anything out of worship. And Nancy said, well, it's not about you. Worship is about God. Then the key thing is worship is not about your child. I've heard parents say this, well, you know, my child just doesn't get anything out of worship. One question is, I said, how do you know that? Well, they were squirming. Well, how do you know they didn't get anything? If you pull them out of worship, I promise you they won't get anything out of worship. You, that will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you have them in the covenant community, you never know what can happen as the Holy Spirit's at work. When you do have a situation where a child has difficulty... You have to ask the question, in what ways is the problem spiritual? Remember, your child has a sin nature, and there's, that's going to be at play there. But also, what, in what ways is it practical? Your personality of your child, what type of learner they are. Our worship services are very auditory. You might have a very visual or a kinesthetic learner. Those types of things, you take that into account. You have to ask, what is it? It might be that you need to walk your child back and forth across the back. I don't know what, what you need to do. You might need to have a worship worksheet or a coloring sheet or something along those lines to help your child be engaged with what's going on. But you have to do this diagnostic. What's happening here? Was it spiritual? What's practical? And what can I address? The principles you want to communicate is that God, as you're teaching 
each other how to train your child as you're teaching your child. God's at work in the lives of his people. And God uses the church in the development of the child. You don't know what the Spirit's doing. You don't know what the Spirit does through the singing and how the child picks up on the music or participates. That's You pray to that end, but you do know this, and this is why we begin our worship services with a call to worship we, and the invocation. God is at work in a special way as his people are gathered together. Helping your child worship is not the same thing as keeping your child still. I turned on the. Oh, there it is. Okay, is um a lot of people they try to teach their children to sit still and worship, and it's not a good place to do that to that lesson. I always recommend to parents in a church that they are working on sitting still at home, uh, just timing them, putting on a kitchen timer. You know, two minutes. This is sit time, and that they learn how to sit for two minutes, and then you sit, you let them sit for four. This is sit time. Then six, then ten, and you might give them something to color or something in it, but not, you know, a video or something that's truly just entertaining them, but a place where they can sort of focus on their own participation with what they have in their lap, a book or whatever. But and then it works out really well as they get older. Thirty minutes in the house, you're going to cook dinner. You say this is sit time. You set the timer, and they know. But that you're, it's a training method of getting them to do that. So that when you bring them into church, you say this is sit time. And a lot of people, the first time their child is ever expected to sit still for an hour and 15 minutes is at church. Uh, it's not fair to the child. And so, you know, really think of if, you, if you're struggling with that to, to do something at home. And then the next thing you have up on it, if you'll, the, is the instruction. And this is the four-step thing that I was talking about that I thought was on my last slide. But any activity that you want them to do, if you're teaching them to pray, to say, watch me. Now do it with me. Now let me watch you. Now we'll do it. And the same thing with worship at home. I also do this with child the task at, the, at home when a kid can't learn to clean their room. You know, watch me. Do it with me. Now you do it while I watch. Now you can do it. We're kind of in a fast food culture. You know, we just want kids to watch us and do what we do. But to be really intentional with a watch me, do it with me, and to talk them through the process. And we're as we get into family worship, you can see how that begins to be a, a task that they un, understand the parts of. One other thing that's out on the table is we had more and more churches say, if we're going to take the kids out during the sermon or they're going to be out at all during worship, we'd like to be teaching them about what we do when we're in there. So we have a curriculum. You can, um, it's digital, all digital. It's not printed. There's an example of it out there called Teach Me to Worship. There's a 12-unit study starting with just the call to worship. And every month they learn a hymn that they're learning in church. And they, um, it, but from Genesis to Revolution, Revelation, we say, here's why we, yeah, thank you, why we're called to worship. And the next thing is, here's why we pray. Here's why we give tithes and offerings. Here's how we, why we celebrate the sacraments. This is why we do a benediction at the end. Just kind of preparing them for when they go back in that they understand the elements that are in the worship service. So I just wanted to throw that out. But, being intentional about training them to do it, 
I think it's real important in our culture when they have so much other you know stuff out there to be doing. One thing we had in our family as our kids were growing up, um, this was especially <clears throat> true with my second and third, so my second son and my daughter, is they would love to sit on either side of daddy, and I would use that time to either scratch their back or their neck or something that just calmed them as they were listening. And then, but it also came into play when I did that, the let me see you worship, because what would happen is when we would sing, I would have my hand on their back. And if I didn't feel any vibration, then I would lean down and I'd say, uh, Jesus might be hearing you, but I'm not, and I would like to hear you. And so it was a, I tried to keep it lighthearted, but my whole point is, you know, this is your time to participate in the hymns. And my daughter, of course, she go, Dad, I am singing. I said, well, I can't hear you. I want to hear you. I want to enjoy your voice joining with mine. And so that was just something to keep him in. But all of that to say, we tried to make it a family event with worship. Be patient about your child's development. Don't expect them to go zero to 60 like Sue said, all right, now you're going to be still for an hour and a half or hour and 15, whatever. Be patient with them. And when they show progress, celebrate that. Wow, you, you paid attention the whole time. That was wonderful. Be, be a, appreciative of seeing them develop. And then teaching children to worship is hard work, but it's the most important thing you do. It is the only thing we know for sure we will do in the new heavens and the new earth. And so what you're doing right now in training your child to worship is something they will do into eternity. And God has placed you at the point to begin to teach your child how to do that. What a privilege. This is a season of parenting. This is something that I wanted that single mom to know. It's a season. You want to take a break, but stay in the fight. Stay engaged to engage the child. I always want Stephen to mention in the very beginning slide here that the preacher is preaching on present your body as a living sacrifice and that that is your holy service of worship. Because <laughs> I feel like... I know when my kids started coming into church, their father was the preacher, it was always me and them, me and them in the pew. And when I got through with worship, I really felt like I had presented my body a living sacrifice. Uh, you know, and there wasn't a lot of that just, you know, engaged heart thing like I was talking about last night, oh, 4,000 times the thing. I was like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah no, what's turn, no, what, not right now, no, uh, yeah, you know. Um, but it's a season, you know, it really, but it is worship. As a parent, to be engaged in the helping and the training of your kids into the process. So it's a different kind of worship. Yeah, as a pastor, I've remembered, I've had a number of conversations with people, and they go something like this. Well, you know, here I was. I, was, I wasn't able to pay attention to the whole sermon. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to sing here. I was a little, wasn't able to do this. And the idea was, unless I, as a parent, engage fully and completely from the moment we begin until the moment the benediction, then somehow it wasn't valid worship. And I said, 
I try to respond with it. Do you think God was glorified in you training your child, though you were distracted time and again, in your attempt to train your child to worship? Usually there's silence when I ask that. Because what's going on inside of that person is this idea that worship is about me and what I get out of it. And we've lost sight of worship is involving, especially when we're parents, worship is involving training that child. And God is glorified as a child is there in the covenant community. My challenge a lot of times when I talk to pastors in sessions, my challenge goes like this. Elders, what are you doing to make those children know that they are a part of this community and that this worship service is for them as well as adults? Yes, ma'am. I think the way I've come down on the children's worship issue, and I think I've got this slide um, a few ahead. We'll go ahead and jump here. Children's church. The pros, it provides a way for instruction to be done at their level, and so is a developmental. And I see for pastoral reasons that some validity and some benefit in that. Helps a parent learn from the Word, and this is especially true if the parent doesn't have much experience in the Word. And so it might be a season of life that this, this helps them. And then our modern culture, again, we have this sentimental affection for children in our culture, in American culture, but yet children are still marginalized in our culture. It's a really, it's, we're sort of talking out of both sides of our mouth. And, but we as a church need to show that children are such a, a, a valid part, a, an integral part of the, the life and health of the church. And so the cons of children's church is that parents are prone to abdicate their responsibility. And this happens at all levels. It happens with school. It happens with um, Sunday school. It happens with children's church. It happens with youth group. And I'm not saying that everybody has to be homeschooled. That's not what I'm saying. But you realize that the responsibility is yours, and you may delegate that responsibility to someone for a season or maybe because they're better equipped, but yet you never abdicate your responsibility. And that's especially true when it comes to worship. And so you keep that in mind. And also with Children's Church, another disadvantage is it does create that this is not fully for you it's for somebody it's just for the big people and again you have to be careful you can fight against that now one way we did this at the church I served in St. Louis is when we had a children's church the children's director would come in from the front of the sanctuary and would carry a flag and then walk down the aisle, and all the kids would come out and join them as they walked down the aisle. Then they would go to children's church, and then as we were singing the final hymn, the kids would come back in to the sanctuary, and sometimes it, they would just be looking for their parents, 
But it was the whole idea of this whole worship service is for you. And so when the benediction was pronounced, the children were there because they're part of the community. We definitely have, uh, you know, a lot of questions about this, and we have churches that go extremes either side, never children's church. Well, how about, you know, and some that have children's church up to like third and fourth, even fifth grade. A lot of times it has to do with the size of the church and the nature of the facility. And it's a conversation that the session and, and that the, to hear the parents on and what you do. But, uh, you know, the principles are, are there. Uh, where I serve, we have a children's church just during the sermon. We do bring them back in for the benediction. We bring them back in so they can, you know, witness communion when we have communion Sundays. Um, but probably only about, it used to be about a half. Now it's about a third of the parents in the church actually take advantage of that. And um, it's really interesting because I've kind of mellowed on it. I, I, when I went there, they had a children's church, and I brought the age down a little bit. Um, but I look at, the like, I have five adopted foster children, four years old, in children's church during the sermon. And, I, and I'm teaching them some great things, and my team are with it, with, plus a few others. But I'm thinking... I think that there's some, there's a service that's being done there during that sermon for those families, uh, and it really is um, significant. And so I don't think we, we can draw a hard line down. I think as an individual church, you just need to stop and sit back and think about what is it is being required of us and how do we really serve our families in this way. But I do think it's an it's an encouraging thing that if you use that time to prepare them to go back in, uh, that they'll be better worshipers because they had this time at their age level. Is, Our is goal is to worship as a covenant community. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes for pastoral considerations, you may say, all right, we're going to help our people in this way as we are looking for the goal. And though, so you have some parents who their children, just because of, for whatever reason, personality, training, whatever the case may be, they're able to stay in. I think we need to celebrate that, that they're doing that. Some Parents have been shamed because why is your church not why is your child not going? We don't need to be that way. We need to celebrate they're part of the covenant community. But at the same time, we have to say we're not gonna we're not gonna expect you to do this level. We're gonna help you reach that level. And I think that's where we need to be as a church. That's just my personal opinion. There is no set thing in the PCA. There's no this is the way you do it. It's what the session decides as they see what's best for our community. Now, as you do worship, here are some very practical things, and you have them on the slides. Worship begins Saturday night. And especially if you have a child with wanting control, the whole dress, that's a place where they like to do it. And so try to fight that battle on Saturday night. Pick three things. It's your decision. So they pick three things. No, let's tweak it here, and you do the battle there, and then Sunday morning get up and say, here are your three choices, which one you want. Uh, or you pick, this is the choice on on Saturday night, say, I'm going to choose this one. And then, Now, of course, what can happen? Because there's an enemy. They might get up on Sunday morning saying, yeah, I said that last night. I don't want to do it today. I want to do this. And and then, no, you have to handle that, but that's just something that you you can do. Give them an opportunity to participate. Giving is one way. Put the money in the plate or put the prayer card in the plate, whatever the case may be. 
One thing I also encourage sessions to do, get children involved. If they have musical ability, find a place for them up here. If they like people and greeting people, which my daughter was all over this, she wanted to hand out the bulletins. And that's so she would be there and I would work. Of course, I was a pastor. I couldn't be there. But the usher, I said, can Morgan help you pass out bulletins? And so Morgan would do it. That's how she felt like she was a part of the community. Review him and text before you go to bed. Just here they are. Him book, whatever the case may be. We have, our parents have loved. We started when um, uh, on Wednesday when well they started doing it on Thursday just because of the readiness of the bulletin. But we we have you can click on and download our bulletin on Thursday. And then Saturday nights, when you're preparing for worship, you can sing the songs with your kids. You can read through the scripture that they're going to hear. And uh, just you saying this is a priority for us, and so we're we're practicing it. We're preparing for it. Uh, they've loved it, that it has encouraged the participation of their kids in worship, that they actually went over everything on, on Saturday evening before coming in for church. It's been a success. Another thing you need to watch is how you talk about worship in front of your children. And I'm sure Richard is the best preacher in the whole PCA. He just hasn't been discovered yet by everybody in the PCA. But he might not have a great day one day. And you don't need to talk about the negative things of worship. You talk about the beauty of the covenant community. And that's how we enjoy, because you're wanting to train your child the B's of parenting. When I teach leaders, so I'll teach you, be with your children. Sometimes there's a request to sit with friends, and there's different ways to view that. I always wanted my to do it as a family. But there came a time where we would partner with different families and there would be this little rotation. But the idea is not just as you to go by yourself as your group of friends, or maybe, and this is something that I noticed at Sue's Church, Westminster in Atlanta, they would have a group of parents like on the back row and the kids were in the row in front. So it was still a family event. And because it was a covenant family, if one of the kids over here who was, all right, here's the kid who is the child of this person over here, and this person notices their kid doing this, then this parent would also lean up to tell the child, cut it out. It's part of being in the covenant community because you're holding each other accountable. It is our privilege. Be in the sanctuary. Again, be part of the community. Now, your child might need, because they're disruptive, you take them out. Do not go home. That is defeating. Stay out there until your child calms down. Bring them in. You might be going in and out of that door constantly, but just celebrate the incremental benefits <laughs> And keep pressing for longer. But keep the child, you're communicating the idea, this is part of our community, our family. We want to be here with our family. Parents, focus the child and tell them, you're part of this. You know, I've heard sometimes when a child's talking to me, he's Hey, 
pastors preach it. That's like God speaking to us. And just like I don't have you interrupt me when I'm talking to it, let's, let's look and listen to what God's saying. So you're trying to redirect them in this idea that God is present, God is acting. It's not just them doing another activity. Avoid bathroom breaks. This is something that happens a lot. Um, all of a sudden the bladders get active or whatever during the worship service. Make it a point. to I mean, you've got a great location for your bathroom. Just the last thing you do before you come in, go to the bathroom and then help your child. If, if they absolutely have to, go with them so they don't wander off down the hallway and start to you know look at the pictures on the wall or whatever the case may be. But you get back in. But Try to minimize that and say, hey, let's just try a little bit longer, go a little bit longer. Just incremental victories there. Firm is resolute. Not mean, not harsh. Just firm. This is the way we're going to do it. And you set the agenda. We live in a culture that has child-centered parenting. I don't go to worship because my child didn't want to go. You are the parent. So that's oh, I'm gonna we're gonna choose this church because my child likes this. No, you decide what's best for your family. You are the parent. And you set the agenda. You're loving, you consider your child's needs, you talk about it, but you remain the parent. Avoid the empty threats. I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half, two, three quarters. If you set a standard, follow through with it. Be intentional. Be consistent. Okay. What are you doing a long sermon? Do you ever, well, what are you doing any sermon? Huh? It's irrelevant. <laughs> what do you do in any sermon? All right. <laughs> Listen for illustrations, draw pictures. I, uh, my daughter, we our standard thing goes down there with uh, create the expectation there will be a test. This is recently I've been preaching at the church where we attend, and so I asked my daughter, 15 years old, honey, what was the sermon about? Almost always she either gives the opening illustration or the closing illustration. That's just how she operates. And then I say, okay, well, what was that illustration about? And we're usually I'll get it out of her, but that's that's how we go. But encourage them to listen for the illustrations, listen for common words. Um, sometimes, if if your preacher has certain ticks, like he uses a similar word all the time, or does a certain hand motion, sometimes that sometimes they can count that. You might not want to share that with Richard, or maybe you would. I don't know what you want to do. Uh, sometimes you can keep up, if your ch child is learning to tell time, they can keep up with, here's the sermon, where was he at this time, and this time, and this time. There's all different ways to get the child involved where they're listening and paying attention. Op expose them to the text by reading it the night before. Tomorrow's text is Psalm 78. It's a long psalm. I'm only going to be focusing on the first eight verses, so you can just read the first eight verses of Psalm 78. That's There's your homework. Resist the urge just to shush them. Rather, you want to redirect them so that they're brought into 
what's happening. Uh, like when they're talking, usually it's uh, along the lines of they're talking. You you want to just say shh, be quiet. You say, you know, I hear. I know you want to ask mommy a question, but right now mommy's listening to what God is saying. So why don't we listen together? And that kind of you're redirecting them to the reality of God being present. Tomorrow in the sermon, you, you know, you might, because if you have like a, I would say a five, six, seven, eight-year-old in that range, you might want to say, you know, the sermon's going to be about children. And just start on the page and just draw a little stick figure, just a little child, and say, you know, let's like just go across the top of the page. Every time you hear the pastor say children or child, you know, to, or, or you could go with the word teach or tell. You know, draw a little stick figure, and just so they're tuned in and they're listening. And you and you punch them. You when you hear it, you draw one and go. I have a. I sit a lot with my eight-year-old grandson in church, and um, our pastor preached through Daniel, and we had so much, you know, just fun really drawing the illustrations from those sermons. Um, you know, things that that would quit. You know, and so he got to where he would read ahead. Just so he kind of in practice some of the things he was going to draw for me, you know. But again, it's his way of, of plugging in. So just that's just an idea for in the morning. But anything you can do like that, and if you don't feel like they're very, they're you know really going to get into drawing, just words, just write a word, and um and see how many list of words. And if they aren't spelling yet, tell them you know say when you hear a word you want us to talk about later, just whisper it to me and I'll write that word. So that you you're just you you're just letting them know what we're hearing here is really important. It's worth talking about later and concentrating on. Early in my ministry, I used to work so hard on transitions and trying to be so creative, so that you wouldn't even know when I was transitioning to the next. And my wife then told me, um, "I'm not getting it." And then there was one Sunday where I just. I didn't have the time to prepare, and my transitions were very, what I call wooden. I just told you about this, and now let's come to this. And my wife said, I loved it. I was able to follow you. And now when I teach homiletics, I tell guys that story. I say, you, you might want to just be very direct and say, well, here's this, here's this. We just talked about this. And it just helps people go through, especially those who are linear thinkers. And so that's, you'll see tomorrow, you'll think, boy, this guy is very boring. No, I, I try to get it because that's, it's an auditory event. Now let's close with this. You're so tempted as a parent to have your prayer, Lord, make me a better parent. Grace-based parenting tweaks that. Lord, make me the parent I am in Christ. The first one, make me a better parent, that can have the, I've just got to try harder. The second one is viewing the reality that God is at work in you and you're just participating in what he's doing in you and in the lives of your children. Be intentional, be consistent, and be thankful for the God who is parenting with you because of what Christ has done. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that even as Jesus said, No, I am with you always. And even as you said to your servant Joshua, as he was going in and taking the promised land, be not afraid, for I am with you. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And Jesus, his very name is Emmanuel, God with us. Oh Lord, as we said earlier, forgive us of what is past. Thank you for the hope that we have. It's based not on our behavior, not on our intelligence, but on your great faithfulness. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. Bless us, we pray. In the name of our Savior, amen.